Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. Today, we have plastic surgeon, Dr. Shirley Madare. It's so interesting to learn about all the non-invasive and surgical procedures that are available today and what's coming next. I'll give you a little hint about that. It has to do with the dreaded cellulite. There is hope. (laughs) Let's jump right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Finds Us podcast. We are so excited to be here with Dr. Shirley Madare today, and she is a plastic surgeon. She has a podcast called Forever Fab, and I was on it last year. Thank you so much for having me. She is a graduate of Boston University, and she went to medical school, a combined program with Dartmouth Medical School and Brown University School of Medicine. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you both for having me. How exciting to join you from afar, and yet it still feels as if we're very close. That's nice. I know. We miss you. We miss getting to see you in the city. Now, let's start right away and talk about how, what made you want to be a plastic surgeon? Yeah, that's kind of, probably not a straightforward answer, but I've always been curious. And um, I think my curiosity about the way things work, and most definitely my fascination for the human body, had a lot to do with it. Um, And I think as my desire to figure out what it is that I wanted to do for a career as that matured, I think it was a combination of that curiosity Um, my love of the human body and how it worked, and frankly, a desire to be of service to people and to help people. It was a combination of all of those things that probably went into my ultimate decision to to A, go into medicine, and then B, decide upon plastic surgery. I think that my study of classical ballet was really just a manifestation of my trying to figure out how the human body worked. So all of that went into it. Fantastic. That's so, so fantastic. I love the reference to ballet and physicality of that. And we can talk more about that later. But okay, I'm curious to know, especially about this dual program, what was that like? What was that like? <laughs> like it sounds like it must have been really exceptional, but really tough. Yes, it, it was tough. And, you know, I think some of my friends would refer to me as a woman of excess. Um, not, but not, not that I overdo it, you know, in terms of accessories. Maybe I do. Or maybe I walk out the door and you know how they say, just think about, just take one thing off before you walk out the door. Maybe I leave mine on. Yes. (laughs) But I think for me, my interpretation of that is that I really always wanted to and continue to want to just get the most out of life, to learn the most, experience the most, um, be the most present and I was lucky, and I definitely worked hard for it, but I was lucky to be accepted into the combined medical school program at Dartmouth and Brown universities. So again, that probably was for me something very exciting because I had two cultures you know, within one medical school experience. Right. And medical school was a test on many levels. I learned a lot about myself, about others, about the medical system. And after medical school was surgical residency, and I did two of them, one in general surgery and the other in plastic surgery. And surgical 
residency, both of them were completely different experiences from medical school. Medical school was mostly, you know, books and classrooms and academics. And in the last two years, you got to go around under the tutelage and guidance of your elders and your mentors and your teachers, where surgical residency, you're being groomed to operate and work and function and think independently. So my surgical residencies, frankly, were absolute torture. <laughs> And if I will continue with the themes of lessons, both of them for me were lessons in resilience and they were definitely challenging. And yes, learning about the human body, how it works, how it doesn't work, how you can help heal, how you can help treat, those are definitely exciting and challenging subjects, which I loved. But then the other aspects of residency, just learning how to deal with people and administrators and the system were definitely um, difficult, but I got through them and I got through them well. I got through them with grace. Um, I like to say sometimes uh, forgiveness of my, of my tormentors, <laughs> gratitude for my mentors, uh, faith in my ability, trust in my intentions, um, support from my family and friends, and the idea that I knew that the pain would be finite. <laughs> so that's how I believe that I was successful. Wow, that is truly incredible. And so how did it work with Dartmouth with the two medical schools? Would you spend time on each campus? Were there a lot of people in this program? There were not a lot of people in the program. I believe from my recollection, I had to apply to both and you had to be accepted by both universities wow. and, medical <laughs> schools. <laughs> and medical schools and accepted into their combined program. The first two years, what we call the academic years, were spent on the Dartmouth campus in New Hampshire. And that was different for me, being from New York City. And the last two years, what we call the clinical years, uh, are spent at the Brown University campus in Providence, Rhode Island. So I got a little Hanover, New Hampshire experience and Providence, Rhode Island experience. Oh, that's wonderful. My, my cousin went to Dartmouth undergrad and he used to tell us about how they would in their dorms they would bring firewood they had fireplaces in their dorm rooms yes so yes. crazy and romantic i mean it just <laughs> sounded so <laughs> well at dartmouth medical school uh i we were not given the option at least back then of staying on campus so i stayed off campus but new hampshire is beautiful a beautiful part of the country and i had I must say, the most interesting and fabulous apartments. I mean, mm. one, a re one a renovated barn, another one a modern condo. I mean, it was just, and then the landscape and the scenery, just really cathartic at times, despite <laughs> the, the torture that you were going through. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, tell us about resiliency. I think that's something that, <laughs> a tool that we need a lot of these days, especially. Talk to us about that. Well, resilience is, is a word that I'm familiar with and more and more recently um, really have come to embrace because you don't realize that you are learning or gaining resilience until you're going through an experience or even sometimes after you've you know, gone through it. And so while I was studying, all I could focus on was just trying to be the best that I could be and learn the most and, and do well. And then other, the things that would sometimes happen, whether you got an answer wrong or you got a diagnosis wrong. And if you got a diagnosis 
on, that can have significant impact on others. Or you, you know, put in a, a central venous line in the wrong place. I mean, potentially disastrous effects. Yes, all in the name of, you know, health and healing and helping and learning. But at the same time, sometimes you don't realize the impact that your actions or lack of actions or behaviors or thoughts may have not only on yourself, but on others. So resilience for me has been a bit of a journey and I think I'm, I'm still on that journey, but I really have come to embrace that as a characteristic that frankly is, builds character and helps me to be the woman that I am today. Which is an incredibly fabulous woman. Well, I thank you so much. I do appreciate that. Oh my goodness. So are you type A like us? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think there's a little bit of a split personality when it comes to that. I am very, I mean, I'm pretty rigorous and I have my standards and I like things done a certain way. And, and of course I'm a surgeon, so I have my, you know, routines. I've got my checklist. I, I want, I need things done the way that I like things done. Um, I like my bandages wrapped in a certain way. <laughs> so I am definitely you know, type A, OCD, like totally obsessive and um, really disciplined when it comes to certain things. However, on the other hand, when I'm chilling and in my decompression time, I prefer to just go with the flow and try to be open to whatever is presented to me and see what happens. Well, that's great that you can balance it. That's something that we're still trying to master. <laughs> oh, believe me, it isn't easy. And I don't always, you know, balance it that well. I mean, there are some games, you know, that when I play, whether it's pool or, you know, chess, checkers, whatever, I'm, I'm always like, Argh! take a deep breath, Shirley. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> just go with the flow. So sometimes I do have to remind myself to just be easy. <laughs> right? The control. We don't have to control everything and take deep breaths. What about putting pressure on ourselves? You were just talking a lot about that. That's something that students do and then probably especially women all throughout our lives do. So any learnings for how to not put pressure on yourself? Yeah, I'm, I, I do put a lot of pressure on myself because I have high expectations of myself. And one of the ways that I learned to sort of release that pressure is that I had to learn that I am more than enough. So part of my, you know, seeking to be the best that I can be and more letters after my name and, and just do the best and outperform and out this and outwork and it was part of some maybe deep-seated, deep-rooted, oh my goodness, thought that, huh, maybe someone told me once upon a time that, something wasn't, um, that I wasn't doing something well, or I wasn't good enough to do A, B, C, D, right. or whatever the case may be. And most, most recently, I can assure you that some of those messages, erroneous messages, came from some of the people who were in my surgical residency and were responsible in part for my education. Um, so it definitely took some time for me to not only realize that that was inaccurate, um, but then to believe that that was not true at all. So in knowing that now and believing that, then I was able to release some of that pressure on myself. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. And what I am responsible for is doing the best that I could do to be the best person that I can be, not only for myself, my family and friends, but obviously for my patients as well. 
Right. Well, it's interesting that you say that. And this is something that mom teaches me and talks me through when if if I'm thinking something or maybe I've had an issue with someone thinking about instead of is that the truth that they're saying their opinion? Well, what is their motive? And it might be an unconscious motive. You know, maybe the people around you are jealous or, you know, who knows why they're telling you that maybe you're not doing a good enough job, which is not true. Does that? Yeah. Well, well, Mumsy, you're absolutely right. I agree with that, <laughs> with that teaching. Um, because when we are faced with those challenges, right, challenges to our personas, our personalities, right. whom we think we are, it's important to really stand firm in the belief that, hmm, yeah, that isn't true what this person is saying. And that has nothing to do with me. Perhaps it has more to do with something that they're going through. And to just meet that with not only your knowing who you are and what you're capable of, but also to meet it with compassion for the other person. Right. Like, wow, I'm, you know, it's unfortunate that this person is going through whatever it is that they're going through that made them say this to me or made them act this way. But it's, right. it's, not, it's not about me. Right. And it's, not, it's not for me to fix. Right. And it's unfortunate that our first instinct many times is maybe I didn't do a good enough job. Maybe I am not a good look. Whatever it is that the person was, even if they didn't say it in words, so many of us, the first response is I didn't, I need to do it better, whatever it is. And, you know, right. a lot of times it's like, stop. You know, the reason why your boss is yelling is because the company she's working for is falling apart. It has nothing to do with you. You're just standing there. Right. Basically, you know, those kinds of things. And it's very, very hard. You have to be very mature to be able to calmly think, I am doing a great job. It doesn't matter what this person says. I value their opinion. But on this day, at this time, I didn't do anything wrong. And I, I agree with that. And uh, I continue to learn it. I right. have studied a bit of... Um, Buddhism, and, and not as a true academic, but more as a way of life yes. for me or a, a, a philosophy. And um, one of the principles is loving kindness. And I often believe that that loving kindness has to be directed not only outward, but also inward. So yes. be loving to yourself, be kind to yourself, know who you are and, and know you're a good person. That gets all into the female psyche. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah especially professional female psyche i think we sometimes do a number on, on ourselves because we were just extra hard right that's right and we feel like we have to work harder than you know than other people yes and, yes and unfortunately sometimes we do <laughs> no, i know i know yeah I know, I know but that's wonderful we are very interested in learning more about buddhism jay and i are very much interested in that we have that as a um, we want to we want to learn about a lot of different things. Certainly, well, I can certainly I can certainly send you references because I am not the one to teach you. <laughs> no, we'd love to have references. That'd be awesome. We're just okay. trying to figure it out by ourselves. So that would be awesome. Okay. Um, okay, ballet, near and dear to our hearts. Yes, um, I know you were a dancer like I was, and I'm yes. curious about how you have brought that into your professional life. I am totally indebted to my ballet teachers and to the practice of ballet for teaching me professional discipline. Yes. And I definitely brought that into my training, into my studies, and I believe that discipline was in large part responsible for 
my resilience and my success in plastic surgery. And there were so many times in residency or medical medical school that you had opportunities to maybe take an extra long break <laughs> or um, maybe not you know, study for the 10th hour, maybe just stop at eight. Um, but having that discipline really yeah. just kept me going. And ballet also taught me, interestingly, that sometimes through pain, and I don't necessarily mean physical pain, but sometimes through emotional um, sort of angst, beauty emerges. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. so yeah, physical and emotional, definitely. Yeah, physical, mental, emotional. So I would say, yeah, discipline for sure is what ballet taught me, and I use that to the best of my abilities while I was in school. That's awesome. I think that makes perfect sense, and I think um, striving for excellence, you know, like yes. knowing what it feels like to nail, a, you know, a yes. or whatever it is, and always striving and having those people that, it, I always try to explain to people that it was such a compliment when your teacher called you out to yes. use your body as an example. It wasn't like, you know, you're, when I would tell my mother, oh, you know, Stefan uh, called me out today. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, mom, I was chosen. He yeah. corrected me and used me as the example for the whole class. It was amazing, you know. Yes. Kind of thing. So you're just pushing and pushing to you know, to please your instructor, but also it just feels so wonderful when you, when you do it. Yes, it, it, yes, definitely to be able to be uh, called out in a positive way and be acknowledged for your efforts and, and your performance is fantastic. Now, during plastic surgery residency, interestingly enough, I was called out many times, but for negative reasons, oh, <laughs> um, I would, I would give what I thought was a brilliant answer and the teacher, you know, or the other plastic surgeon that would call them attendings in the room would say, oh my God, that's a horrible answer. I, oh would, my never, God. I would never come to you as a doctor. And yet one of my colleagues who didn't look like me necessarily would give the same answer and most definitely wow. as eloquently and would be called out in a positive way. So, oh my gosh. Oh, there are that's tons incredible. of stories like that. But in this way, oh. having dance ballet, however, because not everyone can be the prima, right? But having dance ballet taught me not to necessarily take that personally, even though it was directed right. very personally, because I would just think, okay, well, today is not my day, and I'm going to be a member you know, of the core. I will not be the prima today, right. but I will keep you know, working hard, and I will be a prima one day. So there you have it. So That's ballet right. did help me quite a bit. And that goes back also to what's, what, is, what are the preconceptions that this person has that they are you know, that they are choosing this other person, which is something so typical that happens all the time. But my father studied medicine at Tulane with um, Dr. Ochsner, with the yes. clinic, and he was horrendous to study under and to, you know, to go through residency with. However, it was one of the greatest honors of my father's life at the same time. Yes, I'm sure, so, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, so to learn I, from those people, you know, yeah. I think you just want to go home and just cry, you know. <laughs> I did many times. I bet, I bet, especially being a female. And, you know, let's just get it out there, being a female in this field and everything. At the oh, height, yeah. At the, one of the, you know, the top schools in the country. The yes, for sure being so a female 
and for sure having the the extra special you know pixie yes. dust of being you know a black woman or a female yes. of color in a yes. in a yes. yes. oh my gosh i'm sure and it was like you were just chosen because dot dot yes I yes i was chosen because yes. <laughs> ellipsis Thanks. that's right <laughs> you know forgive them for they know not what they do okay now and the next question we're going to move on and it's how have the requests and ages of people that are reaching out to you um changed because of social media you know do you have oh yeah is it oh yeah very relevant question i mean these are exceptional times are they not right um, for but not only because of the um pandemic because also of like the stratospheric rise of social media. Would you not agree that the rise has just been absolutely astronomical? Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. So now we have the like, pervasiveness. It's, it's an everyday thing, if not multiple times a day. Zoom, um, Skype, StreamYard, so many different social media platforms, including you know, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Many people are asking, this is no surprise, for facial rejuvenation. Ah, because now everyone is seeing everyone, not necessarily yes. the full person, but they're seeing mostly from the hips up or the neck up. Yes, right? yes, yes. So, and I've noticed two trends. So one, people asking for facial rejuvenation, fillers, um, neuromodulators such as Botox and ZMN, VitaGlow or vitamin infusions. And right. yet the other trend that I'm seeing on the other hand are those who have embraced a more natural and even untouched version of themselves. And they, even though they may not be asking for injectables, they are actually asking for ways to obtain or maintain healthy skin and how to have it be more radiant and glowing. Well, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. And, and it's so, I never even, I thought about, you know, I've heard all these stories about people coming in and saying, you know, I want to look like my Instagram filter version of myself. <laughs> I hadn't thought about Zoom. I mean, I talk to women all the time about, you know, raise up the laptop to eye level so you're not yeah. down and make sure right. your lighting is good. But I never thought about, but it makes perfect sense because I think especially when people don't set it up correctly, as we know what it looks like when we take a selfie, it's pretty, it can be horrifying. I'll just say that. <laughs> so they see that and they immediately, I'm sure, think this is, you know, it's, it's humiliating. You know, unfortunately, it, it can be humiliating when you're, you're meeting with people and you're, it's very distracting. You can't think about what you're saying because you're looking at it going, I'm just, you know, scary looking, you know. I, it's, very, it's all very interesting because I think many of us don't, I think we perceive ourselves differently from uh, obviously the way people see us. So we may think right. we appear one way to people and yet it isn't necessarily that way. And sometimes when we see each other on the Zoom or the Skypes or whatever, and you, you really sort of, it's, it's a, it's a, it captures a glimpse, it captures a moment in time where whatever is going on, you know, on your mind, and is, is captured right there in front of you and you're looking at it. <laughs> right. And so I think it's very interesting perception and reality and how you feel that you look is projected onto the screen, but not necessarily onto the other person. It's all very interesting yeah. psychological dynamics of beauty, which I totally love. Right. This is something that's interesting that I haven't thought about until now. 
consciously since you said that was in the past when we would have meetings like when I was at Barney's you sit around a table and you you don't see yourself mm -hmm. but now when we're having these zoom meetings now right. you're seeing yourself so that's really right. interesting yeah and we, <laughs> right and listen and we all have mirrors but even when you look into a mirror you're kind of approaching the mirror with some sort of preconceived notion about yourself right i wake up in the morning the first thing i do is one of the first things i do is i look in the mirror but i don't think to myself oh my face is red i just approach the mirror and i just say i ask myself all right what's going on today <laughs> right. what's going on today exactly tell us about your decision to start your podcast forever fab oh my goodness my podcast forever fab I, I resisted for so long. And why? I mean, I don't know. No one was telling me I couldn't do it. It was resisting myself. I ultimately decided to do it because I just felt for a long time that there was a specific voice missing in the fields of beauty, wellness, and frankly, plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. And I felt that I was one, I was a voice, not necessarily the only voice or the voice, but I was a voice that was credible educated, professional, and passionate. And right. not only that, but a woman and a woman of color. I felt that that voice, that perspective was not out there. Right. And I had something to say, so I thought, you know what? Um, I'm going to manifest that voice and I'm going to shout it out for the world to hear and join me. And frankly, if I have one listener and subscriber, that's fine. If I have 1,000, that's fine. It was mostly for me, a way to shake things up and encourage myself to do something way beyond my comfort zone. Um, and I tend to take discomfort in some circumstances as, hmm, I'm uncomfortable, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm nervous, and that must mean I have to do it. <laughs> exactly, that's what we all need to do. Right, so going beyond my comfort zone, for me, it was a way to grow, to evolve, to innovate, to communicate with um, not only my patients, but with um, other people who are not my patients, mm -hmm. uh, to express myself, and maybe to, maybe to create a community that was in alignment with some of the things that I was saying or some of my views and values, and, um, and just to you know, create a tribe that way. Right. Well, I'm so glad that we asked that question. And you're such a wonderful example because a lot of times it's like Misty Copeland. You need to see yourself in a field or a position. So that is, mm -hmm. you could, you know, who knows how many careers you could launch or right. some little girl sees you and then she's like, oh, I could be a plastic surgeon. Right. Absolutely. Right. And the women that, you know, don't have anyone to ask these questions to or to learn about things. Um, yeah. because, you know, maybe at the time they don't, you know, they never, they don't have the money to start the journey with the plastic surgery or anything. If they can just start yeah. listening to you and understanding more about, you know, what it, what it all is, I think it's a remarkable thing. Thank you very much. And I hope I could serve as a mentor to, to someone, some little girl, some little boy, whoever, yeah. some, some little non-identified gender yeah. fluid, whoever. All yes. of it, yes. <laughs> but to serve as inspiration would be uh, deeply fulfilling for me.
Yes. Well, you're definitely doing that. And in one of your answers, the question about different ages coming in because of social media, what are your thoughts on the current global state of self-confidence? <laughs> are, we, are we in a horrible place? <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's the right question. No, it's it's a thing. It's a thing for sure. Boy, confidence and self-confidence. Well, I think the obvious answer is that we cannot look for it outside of ourselves. Mm. It's it's a very difficult thing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Values, experiences, you know, uh, bombardment of messages from the media, from friends, from, oh my goodness, you have to just seek that approval Mm -hmm. um, from within Right. And it is, it is with that, that armor that you can then, you know, go out there and, and address the world and address the inequalities and the inequities and the right. imbalances. Um, but I do believe that it's really important to try to find that within ourselves because at least in, in my experience in the past, no one gives that to you for free, for sure. That's right. Oh my goodness. I know it's so unfortunate that it is very easy to our sense of self is like, oh, how many, I didn't get enough likes on that photo. Right, with, right. Me. So that is <laughs> You know, with regard to my podcast, I don't, people will ask me, how many subscribers do you have? I honestly do not know. Same. Right. So I refer them to the production team. I say, I, I don't know. And I'm not sure if that means that, you know, I'm not a good operator. I, doesn't really matter. I initially started it because I, I really wanted to be able to, to say something and I, I wanted to create um, a, a space where other people could, could talk about those things. And it, it wasn't a matter of likes for me. Now I know the reality is that in order for you to collaborate or to be heard um, on a larger platform for sure, it's important to know those numbers. But I'm lucky I have a really great production team that keeps track of that for me. And they give me ideas all the time. They say, well, maybe you should consider this, that, and the other. Um, But I am glad that the primary reason of my starting the podcast was not to have more likes. Oh, gosh, right. We really shouldn't value human beings on how many, the number, the audience size of their platform, but more about. Well, and then you find out, you know, I heard, I think it was Jonathan Anderson, somebody talking about, um, isn't he with Luebe? Yeah. Talking about um, getting back to the joy of creating content rather than pushing all this content out in hopes of getting likes and hopes of getting sales. So, you know, if if you create a podcast, you know, we took a class about writing a blog post and one of the professors said, if you're in this room to get famous, you don't need to be in here. You know, it's kind of like if if you are creating a podcast or anything else, an Instagram post desperately, you know, for these, these likes, then it's never going to be a success. First of all, and I totally agree with you. It also could make you not do your best work on the podcast because you would be nervous that, you know, the likes weren't going to be enough or anytime people ask us, can we see your numbers? We, you know, we're like, we'll show you our numbers, but we kind of almost makes us not even want to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I I understand that. I mean, it's, and there's something about, you know, I know this word is probably overused, but, but it's a real word. There's something about being authentic. Right. Right. And um, putting out something that you believe in, and that you're not just you know doing it to get a rise out of people, but um, that is real for you. So I, I try to adhere to those 
you know, to those parameters and my truth. And if I feel that my truth would be too polarizing, then that's something that I reserve for discussions with my personal circle or my right. concentric circle, you know, of friends and family. I don't have to put it out there. If, no. you know, if I think it's going to be insulting, what's the point? That's There's exactly plenty of that in life. Why? Why can you? Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly right. That's exactly right. We we try certainly to put never put out content that might make someone else feel less about themselves. You know. Yeah. Especially as women, right? We are as as women. We're part of you know that feminine energy tribe. So right. why would we not want to support each other and elevate each other and help to make the world a better place? You know, through our power. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. What are the latest discoveries in cosmetic plastic surgery? Ooh, I love this, <laughs> love this question. Um, I'm always reading and there's always, you know, something happening. I just have to be careful because some of those things are still experimental. However, newsflash, the FDA just approved, like literally in the past couple of days, just approved an injectable for the management of cellulite. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I had it as a question for you. Like, is there ever any, ever going to be anything <laughs> that can help with cellulite? Well, hope has arrived and it comes in the form of an injection. Wow. Wow, <laughs> that's so exciting. I have known about this particular ingredient, the active ingredient, for, for several years. Uh, it isn't a new, um, sort of newly manufactured um, medication. It's, it's been around for several years. This is just a new application of it. But I'm hoping this would be a game changer because there's so many. First of all, we don't really have an exact handle on what, quote unquote, causes cellulite. Um, it isn't a disease, even though I know some people would think that it is, but it is not a disease. Um, it, it's just this thing that happens. It's a condition. And because it's a combination of multiple events, right, multiple factors that sort of coalesce to become this appearance and change the tissues in a way, it's hard to really pinpoint and say, oh, if you take care of this one thing, then your cellulite will appear. Nevertheless, um, I think with this new injectable having been FDA approved, I, th I think it could potentially be a game changer because even if it didn't answer the question or re resolve the issue 100%, it could definitely be used as an adjunct or complement to other therapies, right? Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. Really? Other injectables that are coming out that I believe are in the pipeline, I know this one may already exist in Europe, but has not been FDA approved in the United States yet, is one that could serve as a temporary filler for the breast and the bum. Oh, oh interesting. Isn't that interesting? So imagine if, you know, you were thinking to yourself, hmm, you know, I've always been interested in, you know, a, a breast enhancement or just a yeah. little bit more volume on my rear end, but I don't want to commit to the, the time, the expense, the recovery. Right. Um, yeah. And frankly, I don't want to commit to having, you know, an implant in my body. Right. So in the pipeline potentially are these injections that are made of an ingredient that are, that is similar to the injections some people already undergo to enhance their lips and their cheeks, but, but you know, different. Imagine if you could get that injection to enhance 
your breasts or your bum for up to 18 or so months. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Wow. Fascinating. And then it gets metabolized. It goes away. And then you have the option of either repeating it, doing nothing, or moving ahead and actually getting implants. So I think that also is very exciting. That is huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a woman needs options, you know? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'll be interested to know if they start doing that, if plastic surgery for either of those permanent ones increases, because maybe... It would be very interesting. Yeah. 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 If they didn't... And it may, right? Because it gives you like a trial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a great... I thought you were going to say like, you know goes away but instead it's like it might actually you know right yeah that's interesting yeah they were on the fence before and they were like well i just can't do it it's permanent you know whatever and then if they can try it it'll be interesting to see if if that is on the increase what is your favorite surgery to perform oh i have a few (laughs) tell us i have a few um i love rhinoplasty or nose reshaping mm-hmm. I because you know the nose is central to your face and to be able to enhance that or modify it in a way that really helps the person to just settle into who they know they can really be I think is pretty that's pretty remarkable I also love performing breast lifts what is that and a breast lift yeah so <laughs> yep <laughs> mastopexy or breast lift and also tummy tuck or abdominoplasty those are probably my top three. Oh, baby's ready and to have those my, my daughter's patting <laughs> me on the shoulder with everything you see like, is that a big hint <laughs> well she complains about all these things all the time oh my goodness yeah those are probably you know my top three and followed closely by a facelift oh. yeah and then um and then probably lipo mm-hmm. yeah I need to know more about all <laughs> um, because there is a lot of creativity in, involved in plastic surgery. It isn't just a matter of picking up a scalpel or, you know, a liposuction cannula and going through the motions. I mean, you have to ideally have to have, you know, a, a vision of and the creativity to, you know, help shape and, and mold and sculpt. Well, I was about to say it's like being a sculptor. Literally, it's like it's, it's an art. I, I really think it's an art. Well, you know, I like to think so, um, and I and I'm sure a lot of my colleagues feel the same way. So, yeah, it's form and function, uh, the two sort of very basic fundamental tenets of plastic surgery. You know, form. You know, what's the shape? How does it look like? But also function. <laughs> it might look great, but does it work? That's really true. <laughs> <laughs> you can breathe, or you can sleep. Right. So they 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 go hand in hand. What do you recommend? So, you know, let's say someone is in another part of the country and they can't come to see you. What should they look for in a plastic surgeon? Well, I am honored that they would even consider coming to see me. Um, But I think it's important to really take into consideration, you know, that surgeon's training level. I know there there have been so many changes in um, medicine and especially in cosmetic medicine in the past several years. And... I know that there are lots of people who feel very comfortable performing 
uh, different procedures, whether those are you know, minor in-office procedures or actual surgery. I think that it is really important to be aware of that practitioner's level of training. Um, I know that there are some courses that are offered where people can go in for a weekend and learn how to do a particular technique. Um, right. I, personally, I would not be comfortable with that level of training. Uh, and I'm not saying that you know your surgeon has to have you know triple PhDs and this, that, and the other. Um, that that isn't necessarily it. But I think it's important to know. Um, what kind of training that that person has had and be able to choose accordingly, according to your comfort level. And that is another thing I think uh, one should look for, um, not only the training level, but the practitioner's experience and whether or not they've had experience not only performing the operation, but um, experience or knowledge in dealing with and managing any complications, because that also goes potentially hand in hand with preparing for surgery, not only knowing the benefits and how fabulous you can look, but also being very aware of the risks, the limitations, because surgery may not answer all the questions, uh, as well as the potential complications. And this is not to say complications will happen, yeah. but there's certainly a potential for them. And it's important that everyone is aware of that. Yeah. And then also be, be comfortable once you meet with this person, you know, physician, practitioner, provider, whatever you'd like to call him or her, you have to feel comfortable. I mean, in, in, intuit that meeting and would you feel comfortable go, you know, walking hand in hand to the operating room table, you know, with this person and becoming a partner in care in your care with this person. I think all of those are important. Yeah. That's all. Really Ask the questions. Go in more than once before going on the operating room table. I personally see patients at least twice and ideally three to four times before going to surgery. Um, That's great. Some people find it sufficient to go just once. Um, awfully scary to go just once. I think all those things that you said are really, really smart advice um, for everybody to take into consideration. Yeah, yeah. That is a great segue into the next question, which is... <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> tell us about your approach to plastic surgery, the holistic <laughs> approach. Okay, so I don't want to confuse anybody. I completely made up the term holistic plastic surgery. Uh, it, <laughs> I, I made it up. Um, it, it's the truth. I totally made it up. You and, it. and I made it up years ago. It is interesting, though. I, I noticed that there are a few people on social media who now say that they are holistic plastic surgeons. So listen, I'm not upset about that. Um, I think, you know, <laughs> I'm fine. I think flattery, I, you know, I think, you know, yes. yeah, copying someone or whatever, borrowing flattery, someone right. is, is flattering. Um, so I'm not necessarily upset about that, but, you know, just to be, you know, truthful, I coined the term holistic plastic surgeon many years ago because it evolved from my desire to embrace a more total body inner and outer approach to achieving an outcome and I, I just do it through the language of beauty it's um, my core values to to look at things holistically to take pers many perspectives into consideration as part of my culture to go to the root cause of an issue rather than just sort of put a band-aid on a symptom um, and so while I may operate on one part of the body, 
I very much understand that the whole of the person experiences the surgery and all of the dimensions of wellness. Ideally, you know, it's difficult to achieve, but all of the dimensions of wellness must be intact for optimal, for optimal healing. Yes. And when, and that whole concept of dimensions of wellness has become very important for me because it really serves as one of the foundations for my practice of, you know, quote unquote, holistic plastic surgery. Um, and, and those dimensions are there. I think there are eight of eight or nine of them. If I, yeah, probably nine. Um, and it's how are you doing in terms of wellness physically, um, intellectually, are you growing? Are you maintaining curiosity and in, like engaging in lifelong learning emotionally? Um, do you understand and respect your feelings and values? And do you appreciate the feelings of others socially? Because it really is important to maintain healthy social relationships because that's part of age management. That's how one of the ways that you age well and gracefully maintaining your friendships and intimate relations and contributing to your community. Um, the fifth dimension, spiritually, do you have a purpose? Do you have values? Is you, do you ascribe meaning to your life? Um, what else? Uh, dimension, another dimension, vocational or occupational. Um, do you participate in work that gives you a sense of satisfaction? And here's a big one, financial uh, wellness. Uh, that, that's a big one. Are you managing your resources to live within your means? And if you're not living within your means, do you have a plan B or a backup plan? <laughs> right. You know, the eighth one would be environmental. Right? Do you understand um, how your environments affect your health and well-being when you're going into an office? How are the fluorescent lights affecting you? How's the ventilation affecting you? Um, the people you surround yourself with. And I think I think there's one more. Creative, yes, creative wellness. Um, do you actively participate in, in the arts or cultural experiences? And, and not necessarily as vacation, right. but as a way to understand the world, yourself, your place in it, and other people. So I think that when I started thinking about who I am and what is it, what could I offer, you know, by becoming a plastic surgeon? What could I offer by opening a practice? Yes, you know, do injectables well. Yes, you know, operate my ass off and you know right. get awesome results but what is it that is going to make me feel help me to feel fulfilled and really deliver something beautiful and that's going to help people not just with a physical result and that's when I thought about it and I turned I used I coined the term holistic plastic surgery because it's not just about you know the outside of the person it's really about the whole person and the tagline that goes with it is person before procedure. So mm -hmm. it's all about the person, not just the procedure. And so when you're with these potential uh, patients and everything, do you, you ask them a series of questions? Sort of? Oh my gosh, yes. That initial consultation is, can be up to two hours long. And I've got, I mean, I engage in full-on conversations and I ask a lot of questions. I go deep, I go in. <laughs> Many people are not, you know, um, no, but honestly, some people are not receptive to it and that's fine. Well, that's fine uh, so, too, but you know, we have right. horror stories about if you already have a lot of problems in your life and you think plastic surgery is going to help, you know, it, it doesn't and it can, right. you know, it, it's so serious. So I think this is brilliant. So it's person before procedure. Yep. Holistic plastic surgery. 
person before procedure. That's my whole tagline. I love it. Mm. Thank you. I love it too. It really, and when I say it, you know, when I say it, it resonates deeply. So that's my truth. Um, And it was risky, right? Because I think it's confusing for people, frankly, the holistic plastic surgery. What is that? You got, you got herbs on your scalpel? Right. Crystals. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I do have crystals in my office, but um, no, it, it isn't really just about that. It's, it's a philosophy. And when someone is in front of me in my office, I, Right. explain it we we go all in and um and hopefully they're on board i think probably in the beginning some people aren't used to anybody spending so much time with it's kind of like when i sit peek down with with women and talk to them about um a lot of things about their life and they at first they're maybe a little bit like well i really just want you to work in the closet or whatever it is but <laughs> when start talking about it they start to remember themselves and also before you make a decision that can be life-changing as far as plastic surgery. Um, all of those things that you mentioned that I think that's brilliant. I really thank do. you. Well, that's it. similar to you right. at the root of why you love what you do. And at the root of why I love plastic surgery and what I do is because I love people. Right. And it's the Maybe same for you, I presume. So yep. If you love people, why not take an opportunity when they're coming to you fully, you know, vulnerable and coming right. to you and telling you about their issues. They're right. coming to you with this tender vulnerability. And why would you just not embrace that and be like, I'm here for you, sister. I got you. Exactly. That's exactly the way I feel. I know. There you so, go. We love your pillars. We're very much in line with your holistic approach. Thank you. (laughs) What is your concept of beauty? So what does beautiful, being beautiful mean to you? This is obviously the concept of your podcast, but to share on this podcast. (laughs) So beauty for me, it's a big word. And, you know, sometimes I, when I'm writing, whether it's the blog or the content for my podcast and the word beauty comes up and I want to use it, I actually have to take a pause and think to myself, boy, beauty. I've used that so many times. Everybody uses it so many times. It seems diluted. What's another word? Right. I can't really think of another word that seems to encompass this essence of beautiful. So for me, beauty really does encompass living and expressing the highest version of yourself. And I'm not going to define that by saying, you know, it's a certain um, hair color or certain eye shape or certain ratios, you know, in the thirds or the fifths of the face. (laughs) Um, I think that's different for everyone as it should be. Right. But I think what's beautiful is that when you present yourself and put yourself out there in your truth, and you are self-loved and self-approved and joyful, that, that's, damn, that's like untouchable, that's fabulous. That's beautiful. That is. That that's is. just beautiful. So if there's any way that I can help people to achieve that or um, become more comfortable with that or to empower them, with expressing their highest, best version of themselves, whether or not that's, you know, recommending a skin cream or, you know, lifting breasts or surgically contouring their hips. I'm all about it. No judgment. 
Let's do it together. Let's do it holistically. Let's do it safely. Let's do it fabulously and go out and conquer the world. Yes, I love that so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we need to be partners we here. We just say this. <laughs> go out and say, you've got this. Everything you're saying, I, I, it's, it's our language too. There you go, sisters in sass. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that you like best about working as a plastic surgeon? And you might feel like you've already said it. Yeah, I think I touched upon it. It's probably meeting people and helping them to express their best versions of themselves. And... I, you know, I don't know everything, but what I do know is that I can do that, help people to express their best version of themselves through the platform of, you know, platforms of beauty and wellness. Right. That's what I know how to do. Mm. And then when you're talking to people or when you see people, do you catch yourself thinking like little tweaks that you'd like to make? I will be honest. Yes. <laughs> but you know, I, when I first meet someone, that is not the first thing that I do. I look directly right. into someone's eyes um, because I value, I value that connection, that, you know, visual, right. You know, deep soul connection. If it's there, if it's possible, if not, it's, that's fine too. So I look directly into someone's eyes and I really converse with them and the deeper conversation I get into with someone it's almost as if their faces their face morphs and I don't really see a face I see a, a person I hear the words and I really try to be a global listener um, when I sort of am not that deep into conversation and I'm looking into their eyes but I'm focusing on other parts of their face and yes I will say you know to myself oh I can help that or right. oh, that's interesting this would you know I, I wish I could help you know him get yeah. rid of that hyperpigmentation. So yes, I, I'm trained that way. It's a part of my brain that <laughs> I have to actively turn off, but it's, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> it's off and on. Pre-corona, walk us yes. through a day in the life. <laughs> oh, boy, pre-coronavirus, I was busy. <laughs> oh my, God. it's such a funny thing because there were days when I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I just have no time. And post-corona, boy, did I get some time. Right. Um, let's see, pre-corona. Okay, wake up. So it depends. Uh, OR days, non-OR days. OR days, I'd be up at 5, 5.30, get to the operating room, um, do, you know, speak with the patient, make sure the paperwork's correct, do my markings, you know, start, start operating anywhere, depending on the, the time that I received, 7.30, 9 o'clock, whatever. Um, busy day, busy day, three operations a day, not so busy day, one operation a day after the operation, obviously take care of the patient, make sure the patient is well, follow up on the patient, go to the recovery room um, and make sure they're awake, alert, not in pain, not nauseated, feeling comfortable, looking great, bandages are dry. I mean, a whole checklist of, of things. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, I would leave the hospital, depending on whatever time I finish the last case, leave the hospital, 99% of the time go back to my office, regardless of what time it was, five o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, um, midnight, and um, go back to my office and make sure all my paperwork was intact, transfer any papers, uh, paperwork from the hospital to the patient's chart, 
um, follow up on any emails, messages, and then go home and get a good night's sleep, wake up the next morning, and first thing I would do professionally is go back to the hospital to check on the patients if they were still there and not discharged. That's sort of an average operative day. A non-operative day would involve me getting to the office 8.30, 9 a.m., uh, seeing patients all day, and most of my appointments are procedure-based. So I would have some consultations, but most of the day would be involved with my performing injectables or chemical peels, um, removing um, moles or skin tags or skin lesions, um, sewing earlobes together when they were split, um, performing uh, cellulite management procedures, etc. And I would probably end my day around 6.30, 7-ish and make sure all my paperwork was intact <laughs> and then follow up on it. The emails that I didn't get to throughout the day and phone calls, maybe uh, send in prescriptions, etc. Look at the next day's schedule and then go home, have dinner, play with my dogs, chat with my husband, catch up, mm -hmm. go to bed. Mm -hmm. I, I try to get to bed by 1030, but often it was probably 1130 midnight. Mm -hmm. You're a busy girl. I know, and winding down from all Yeah, winding down and decompressing. But post-corona, <laughs> as well as of late recently, uh, only recently, a, a couple of weeks ago, have um, elective operations uh, yeah. been allowed at the hospital. So I'll be resuming that. As a matter of fact, I think I have two operations on the 31st. Um, and then prior, but prior to a couple of weeks ago and allowing operative surgery, I, my my practice was practice was pretty much shut down. I I did reopen my office on June fifteenth, and now I'm you know seeing patients in the new paradigm. I've had to institute um, some changes. I always had a practice that I called high touch, so I I didn't like keeping people waiting in a waiting room. So I would schedule enough time, more time than I actually needed, so that I could try to guarantee that patients would come in at a certain time, you know, be done with it a certain time, take my time, take our time, and then feel comfortable leaving, but still allowing enough time to sort of transition to the next patient and not have the next patient waiting. So I had to expand upon that now to be able to thoroughly yeah, disinfect and, um, you know, infection control, all that stuff between each patient before and after each patient. So now, you know, I can't see 20 patients a day. Now it has to be reduced because of that time. Mm. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm sure all your patients greatly appreciate that. That is incredible that you do that. Well, we, you know, CDC guidelines, Department of Health, we all have to for sure. And, and as physicians, especially as plastic surgeons, we, we did it before, so right, it isn't right. a huge change, but definitely we've all augmented our practices for sure. Right, but also before, they would have really appreciated that they could come in and they didn't have to wait for hours. That's oh. such a huge frustration. Yeah, because I don't like that. I don't like when I go to the doctor or the dentist and I'm waiting for hours. Everybody's time is, is valuable. Right. But, you know, life happens. Sometimes yeah. someone comes in and they sign up for one thing, but you actually want to do three. Yeah. So I try to have my assistant stay on top of that. And if we think I'm going to run over and the next patient may wind up waiting, we send them a text message or give them a call and say, Dr. Madeira will be running late. Would you like to come in at this time? Or would you 
you know, like to reschedule for a later date, we value your time. So right. we try. That's wonderful. wonderful. This is something that we could talk about all day. Yes, I know. <laughs> what are some such a pleasure. Your, <laughs> what are some of your favorite beauty products right now? Ooh. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my goodness. If you see, I mean, I know you, you both are fashion people and accessories people, so I'm sure your closets are beyond uber fabulous. <laughs> um, I have a pretty nice fashion closet, I must admit, but my beauty cabinets? What? Yes. Oh my God, they're epic. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of it is because I'm definitely like a beauty addict. Um, and it's mostly skincare because I don't, on a daily basis, I don't wear any makeup. And, um, and when I do, someone else does it for me. So <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't really have much makeup. I just have the basics. Mascara and pretty much nude lip, lip gloss. But it's also because I feel that it is imperative for me to be as familiar as possible with a wide range of products. Right. So that when my patients ask me to comment on them, that I can speak with not only professional wisdom, but also with, you know, some degree of modest personal experience. Right. So I do have a lot of stuff that they throw it out and then I move on to the next. So one of the ways that I experiment with things and talk about them is I have a segment on my Forever Fab podcast called 15 Minutes of Fab. And in each 15 Minutes of Fab segment, I'll just choose one product that I've tried for a few weeks and I'll talk about them. That's great. Oh, yeah. I'll talk about my experience with them. I'll talk about the texture. I get really granular and nerdy, right? I talk about the ingredients and what the ingredients mean, whether or not I think they're clean, what the company is about, if there is any history of the company. So I, I, go, I go into it. That's so helpful. So right now I'm trying, um, I'm working with or trying, let's see, Dr. Barbara Sturm's Glow Drops. That's one that I'm just um, trying. I'm also trying, I think it's called, CEO, S-I-O. Yes, CEO Beauty. Yeah, CEO Beauty. Yes. I just got those, so I don't have, I don't have an opinion yet. Okay. <laughs> so CEO Beauty, and then there is one more. Oh, darn, I got it on Violet Gray, and I'm afraid Ooh. I just can't remember right now. But she, and, and obviously, there's so many beauty products out there. It, it oh, becomes harrowingly blinding almost but I did make a commitment to um, feature more products by women of color and people of color so this woman yeah I just uh, got her product on and they're also patches they're under eye patches and I think there might be lip patches and I'm really it's tragic that I forgot her name but anyway I just recently bought her stuff and so I will be reviewing her products on 15 minutes of fab soon oh. That's great. Mom has tried those glow drops. Yeah, what'd you think, Mumsy? I thought they were good. You know, the, the price point is pretty high for um, for a lot of, you know, women. Yeah, yeah. And but frankly, the you know, I'll, I'll give a little bit away of my, uh, <laughs> of my review, but I think um, the product is steep for what you actually get, yeah? Right. Yes, right. And, and that's the thing, too, maybe when we meet with beauty brands, a lot of times I, you know, or I explain to Delia that when you get to be my age, there aren't that many products that can do that much, you know, right. rather than, I guess, retinol, vitamin C are the things that you would recommend. But um, 
So it's, it's harder for me to recommend beauty products than younger women because I don't want right. to tell someone my age to spend $500 on August right. later if, if, no, it's not, you know, if it's not going to change, change their lives. So oh my. have you heard of, you know, beauty stat, right? Yes. Okay, good, good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the other product. That's what, now I remember it. I couldn't remember her name because the, the product was her name, but in initials, KNC. Oh. KNC Beauty Patches. Yeah. So that was the other, um, the other product that I'm trying now. So yeah. So I, I do love beauty products. I love, I'm also realistic. I know that no product can deliver, you know, dermatological or surgical results. We all understand that. That's, that's basic. But, you know, there's something emotional and, and very lovingly self-care about buying products and, you know, slathering them on your face and doing using your beauty devices or your fingers. It, it's self-love. It's an yeah. act of self-love. So I'm all about that. So I do, I do love my products. <laughs> so do we. Yes. yes. All right. Now that I brought up, and when you, when you were talking about beauty, the um, another word for it, it's hard for me to find another word for aging or maturity. Yeah. Yes, or yes, maturity. yes. But um, what kind of lifestyle should people live in order to lessen the effects? Or is there anything they can do? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I touched upon it briefly earlier when I talked about the you know, dimensions of wellness. So if there is a way that, I mean, and th there are many ways, but to, to live as complete and fulfilling a life as possible, given those dimensions, you know, of wellness, just think about all aspects of your life and try them, have tried to do what you can do to make them as healthful, purposeful, and joyful as possible. Then I think you're well on your way. The things that I can help people with are, I like to call, you know, a little pixie dust or the finishing touches, right? Yes. So if you came to me and said, you know what, I feel I'm, I'm pretty fabulous as I am, but there are just a few little tweaks I'd like to discuss with you. And that would be a very different conversation from, oh my God, I, I really don't feel great about myself. And right. I'm so sad and depressed. I just don't feel, you know, worthy. And I don't have, you know, a guy or a gal or a significant other, but, but I think right. you know, doing this to my face or my lips would help me find one. Nah, not so Got much. It. Got it. So to do, you know, what it is that I can do for people from a place of strength and, and right. already self-love and self-approval is pretty powerful. Right. I mean, it's fabulous. That and a little sunscreen, right? Right? <laughs> a little sunscreen, a little moisturizer. Right. And I can go on and on. A little Botox, a little filler, a little this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am a plastic surgeon by training, you know, <laughs> I do love it. <laughs> you are a great person to answer this question in today's crazy world that is often filled with anger and uncertainty. Oh my what God. helps you stay positive? Woo. Let me tell you the first three weeks of uh, coronavirus and civil, civil, global unrest. Right. I was in a fugue state. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I knew how I felt. I didn't know how to express it. Um, I'm not sure I did a podcast those first few weeks. Right. Um, it was very difficult for me because, so, the, you know, the isms and the negative experiences that I worked so hard to heal from, right. I realized that perhaps I suppressed them 
and really didn't allow them to be fully expressed. And now that my friends and family and um, fellow humans um, around the world were expressing it for me out loud, it, I, I, I felt tremendous release. Um, I was involved in protests. I, I, I posted, um, and not just the black screen. I mean, I, I expressed, and um, I was in solidarity, as I have always been, but never perhaps really stated it or shouted right. it out loud. So those first few weeks, I was sort of in the state of inertia. Right. And then when I finally sort of snapped out of it, I was like, surely you're not doing anyone any good by just being like this. So keep it moving, figure it out and determine how you will move forward. And in general, the way that I dealt with the uncertainty and uh, stayed hopeful, if not always positive, because there were days I was not positive. There were yeah. days I was very sad, yeah. very sad by what I saw in the news and, and how I saw that people were being treated and have always been treated, yeah. but that it hasn't gotten better. So there were days I was very sad. Right. But I stayed hopeful and dealt with the uncertainty with, in general, just general things, love, gratitude, keeping things in perspective, and breath, just breathing. Right. More specifically, I dealt with it, the uncertainty and the angst and the sadness with meditation, exercise, that was very important for me to move every day, if not an actual exercise class, then going for long walks. Um, good nutrition because it was very easy for me to have, you know, a sure. slice of pizza oh, yeah. <laughs> right. several times a week, which I did. Right. Um, <laughs> so good nutrition. I had to get back to that. Speak, reconnecting with friends because I, you know, with having to socially distance and self-quarantine, et cetera, yeah. I extended it beyond those two weeks. And, and for more than two weeks, I, did, I did, really did not speak with my friends and connect with them. So I reconnected with my friends. I had always spoken uh, almost daily with my family, so I just kept that up. And um, I decided to keep learning mm. and to keep learning about um, myself, keep learning about other people, keep learning about things that I normally perhaps didn't have much interest in. But now with right. time, I thought, you know what? I, I can learn how to do social media. <laughs> right. And I also dealt with the uncertainty with the certainty of knowing that things will definitely change yes, and get better. And maybe in that very beginning two weeks, you were having to assimilate, you know, these things that you had repressed, just kind of like stop and it made you, uh, you know, even aware and then to have to sort of internalize I mean, whatever, relive yeah. the things and, figure out that, you know, you had just sort of blocked them, you know, or they would have paralyzed you. So, and also maybe thinking about, well, actually look what I did, you yeah. know, look what I did as a black woman. Um, yeah. You know, and, and then that would give you strength to go on and think about how you could help others. And we've been in the situation where we're, you know, we didn't want to be those people that were posting all these lovely sayings but doing nothing, you know, right. so we've been, you know, really actively learning and watching and reading and reaching out. And, you know, we had planned to do this with you, you know, so long before. I know, I know scheduling, right. We didn't even think about talking about it just because 
you know, you were on here because you're a person and we're people, but you know, I think we have to, we need to address it and, and talk about it like that. And um, so I'm happy that we have the opportunity to say a little bit about it. And I thank you for giving me that opportunity. Thank okay. you for the platform. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Of course. All right. So when I'm working with, you know, clients that are my age, I, I, like you I have clients all over, you know, ages, all ages, but with people around my age in their fifties and certainly going into their sixties, seventies, they, they talk about their, like their lower tummy. It's not that they've gained weight, but they have this extra skin. So is, does exercise help that? Or is that what you were talking about when you said tummy tuck? Yeah, that's what I was talking about when I said tummy tuck. <laughs> um, you know, there, when I'm examining a prospective patient for surgery for that particular area and that concern, mm -hmm. there are different types of, um, I don't want to say conditions, but there are different types of appearances of the lower abdomen or lower belly that lend themselves to different treatments. So depending on the amount of fat and or skin laxity, meaning how much sort of stretchy skin there is, the options could be just simple liposuction or combination of liposuction and a mini tummy tuck or just a mini tummy tuck or a full-on tummy tuck or a combination of liposuction and a full tummy tuck. So there are many ways to be able to manage something. It depends on what the area and the person look like. But in general, right. if there is skin, like excess skin laxity, meaning there isn't much fat there, but if the skin just seems to hang and doesn't have much elastic recoil, you can stretch it and it stays stretched, yes, then that for the most part typically involves mm -hmm. an excisional procedure such as a tummy tuck. I've never heard of a mini tuck. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and that is when the incision is not as long because when, when I perform a tummy tuck, when plastic surgeons perform a tummy tuck, even though the incision is only on the bottom, we actually wind up working um, all the way to the ribs, the bottom of the ribs. So all of that area is what we call undermined or mobilized so we can bring a lot of that tissue down to remove it to create that flat or concave look. Whereas in a mini tummy tuck, we do not go that high. Uh -huh. That's fascinating. <laughs> all day. <laughs> yeah, it, it really can be. It really can be. So where can people find you? How can they become a client or set up a consultation? And please, you must talk about your coming to people's houses. That's <laughs> that <beauty> <laughs> Fun, right? Very fun. Um, serious, but fun. So there, I can be found so many places. Right. And, and this was something else that um, I changed from pre-coronavirus times. I figured, oh, you know. If you really want to find me, you'll find me. <laughs> but now I'm really all over the place. So my website is elementsandgraces.com. The, the older website is thenewesthete.com. But even if you went to that, it will just direct you. Um, or if you went to elementsandgraces.com, it, it will direct you to the new esthete. But it's elementsandgraces.com is the website. I do have a podcast called the Forever Fab Podcast. And I am also on social media as the same name. Forever Fab MD, I believe. 
Mm-hmm. Are, that's my social media handle. And in terms of straight up traditional how to find me, you can call my office. I'm in Soho. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can email me. You can send me a letter. You could write me, you know, a note and <laughs> mail it to me. All forms of communication, traditional, old, and new, are still in effect. But probably the fastest, easiest way would be to go to elementsandgraces.com and hit the contact button and then shoot me a quick little note. The other way is I guess people can DM me, right? Direct message me on the podcast. I do check that just about every day. And then in the past, I used to perform house calls and I used to go to patients and meet them at their homes or hotels, et cetera, and do what I do. In the past few years, because I had become so busy at the office, I hadn't been performing house calls, not because I stopped the service, but because most people were coming to my office. I had an occasional person who came from overseas who just said, oh, meet me at the hotel, et cetera. Um, But now, given the new paradigm, I have relaunched my house call service. And it's called, yes, it's called Jet Set Beauty RX. Oh, fabulous. And you'll even go to the Hamptons. And I have in the past very often gone to the Hamptons. And yes, I will do that again. (laughs) 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 It's very convenient. Listen, it's expensive. I mean, people have to know that, right? Because it's time, it's distance, it's travel, it's all that stuff. It's expertise, it's supplies, it's everything. Um, So it is expensive, um, but it's worth it. Right. As all this stuff is, right? All of it is expensive. It is. It shouldn't be cheap. Right. You get what you pay for, my goodness. You certainly do. (laughs) Yeah, this stuff shouldn't be cheap. I mean, I know some people consider it beauty or, you know, cosmetics. But listen, these are medications going into your body. It should not be cheap, period. Right. And you're paying... for someone who has been educated at Brown and Dartmouth and (laughs) (laughs) or Princeton and Harvard or University of, you know, Halifax or, you know, New Jersey, wherever. But yes, you're paying for someone's uh, training and passion and expertise and love. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for coming on our podcast and sharing your incredible wisdom. And thank you for opening up about your experience, your life experience, and your thoughts during Black Lives Matter. And please know that we are always here to support you and or listen anything that we can do to become, continue to be allies for you. And we have your back. Absolutely. Thank you so very much. I am grateful for your your generosity, your thoughtness, and I'm very much appreciative of your having me on your show. Oh my goodness. Well, everyone is going to love this episode. <laughs> and we will post it on the Forever Fab podcast also. We'll, um, we'll break it up into two parts and tomorrow will be part one. So you'll have, you'll have reciprocity and it will just reverberate around the world. Absolutely. Yay. We need that. Changing <laughs> <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you everyone and we'll see you next time. If you like what you heard, tell a friend about our show, subscribe to our podcast, and also scroll to the bottom and give a rating and or a review. Those are the best ways for other people to find out about our podcast. See you next time. Bye.